0: Welcome this morning. We want to say a special welcome to those of you that are watching online. Can we welcome those that are watching online this morning? We're glad that you're tuning in for our series, God Behaving Badly. And also, I want to say a special welcome to those of you that may be here for the very first time here at Life Church. We want to welcome you as well. We are glad that you're here with us. We want you to know that after the service is over, If you go back to our guest kiosk table, which is right outside these back doors, we have a gift bag that we'd like to give to you. Inside is some wonderful gifts. One is a book that I know that you're going to enjoy. There's some other stuff in there. So make sure you stop by and say hello to us before you leave this morning, but welcome. All right, we are in week three of our series called God Behaving Badly. and In this series, we're answering tough questions that people have about God, questions that cause people to not want to serve God, not want to give their life to God, not want to be a part of Christianity, or not want to be a part of the church. So today we're going to deal with another one of those questions. And here's the topic. Most people in our world see God as a cosmic killjoy. In other words, they don't believe that God is a fun God. They believe instead that God is a legalist that God is all about the rules, all right? And if you're not willing to follow all of his many and boring rules, that God really doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Now what is a legalist? The legalist can be defined like this. It's someone who is absolutely obsessed with strict, boring, arbitrary, and oppressive rules without allowing any room for grace. So the word out on the streets about God is this, that number one, God doesn't like to have fun, and number two, he doesn't want you to have fun either. Now we know that's not true, right? At least I hope you know that's not true. But the reality is, this is what many people think. In fact, there was even an episode on this, on the Simpsons once, that illustrates people's view of God. The daughter of the Simpsons, Lisa, is trying to rescue her babysitter. Apparently her babysitter decides that she wants to become a nun. And she goes to a convent. And Lisa's trying to rescue her out of the convent. Well, when Lisa gets to the convent and she looks through the windows, there is her babysitter in a nun's habit. She's sitting down and she has all of these toddlers around her. And Lisa is horrified as she listens to her sing If you're happy and you know it, it's a sin. Right? And that's what people think about God. If you're happy, it must be a sin. Today, there are two questions that I want to answer. Number one, is God a cosmic killjoy? And secondly, what in the world is up with all the rules? So to find the answers to those questions, we're going to start at the very beginning. So turn to your Bible to Genesis chapter one. And what I want to do is I want to look at the first two commands that God gives to human beings. The first two commands. And we're gonna find them in Genesis chapter one, and then we're gonna flip over to Genesis chapter two. Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then notice verse 28. Then God blessed them. Here's the first command. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the earth. Now, go one chapter forward to chapter 2, verse 16. So Genesis two sixteen says this. But the Lord God warned them, who's the them? It's Adam and Eve. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So let's talk about God's original commands to human beings. I want you to notice something in our text. God's first command to Adam and Eve was not, don't eat the fruit from the tree. God doesn't start off with a negative, all right? He doesn't start off telling them what they can't do. His very first command to them was to do something enjoyable. So get this, the first word God ever speaks to human beings, Adam and Eve, are this. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, the only way that I know to multiply as human beings is to do what? You can say it, I know it's church, but you can say it. Is to have what? Oh, that is so weak. Let's try that again. To have what? Yes, you've broken the invisible barrier. You've said the word in church. Sex. Yes. The very first command that God gives to Adam and Eve is to have sex. But it's not even have sex. He says, I want you to fill the earth. Well, gang, if you're going to fill the earth, that's going to require not just sex. That's going to require lots of sex. So therefore, get this. God's first command to Adam and Eve is this. Adam and Eve have lots and lots of sex. Now does that sound like something a cosmic killjoy would say? A God that doesn't want to have fun? I don't think so. I think that's awesome. That the first words out of God's mouth are, have lots and lots of sex. Now, you just got your money's worth today. So if you get up and leave now, You've got some great theology. In fact, why don't you just turn to your mate. If you have a mate here, turn to your mate and say, God says we need to have lots and lots of sex. Right? Now, if you don't have someone here and you're not married, don't be doing that. All right? So that was the first command. Well, what's the second command that God gives them? Well, it's in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He commands them to eat, which is man's second favorite pastime, right? So in Hebrew, here's how it reads. Freely eat, eat. Now my best friend growing up was Italian. I love that because every Sunday afternoon after church, his mom would make an Italian feast. I mean, food galore. And here was what she would say. I heard it every single Sunday afternoon. We would get there and she would say to everybody, manja, manja, which in Italian means what? Eat, eat. God tells Adam and Eve, manja, manja, eat, eat. So God must be Italian, right? Remember, in the garden, there was no sin. That means there were no calories. So Adam and Eve could eat, eat, and then eat, eat some more, and then eat, eat, eat some more. Wouldn't you like that to happen today? I would, that'd be awesome. Understand that before God told them, don't eat, He commands them to eat a lot. Now, I'm being funny this morning. I'm being facetious with you. I'm not promoting gluttony. I'm not promoting hedonism today. So loosen up. I'm expressing it like this because I'm trying to make a point, a point that's very important. In our world, God is perceived as being uptight, no fun, and legalistic. But we need to understand that in the beginning, God wanted man to delight in his gifts of sexuality and food. God is a fun God. God is a good God. God is a generous God. And he desires good things for his children. Are you his child this morning? Amen. That he desires good things for you. He is not a legalist. And so these passages in Genesis show us that God wanted humans to be happy and to be blessed. If I could put it this way in a phrase... He wanted them to breed and feed. Alright? Sounds like a good God to me. I don't know about you. So that begs this question. If that's what God wanted, how come God gets such a bad rap? I mean, God's got a bad reputation in this world. Wouldn't you agree? So if God is really loving and merciful and long-suffering, gracious and kind, how did he get cast into the role of villain? Cosmic killjoy. Well, A number of years back in the 1990s, there was a character that was made popular by Danny Carvey. Some of you may have seen this character. I love this character. She was called the Church Lady. Anybody of you remember the Church Lady? And you used to do these skits with the Church Lady. And and, uh, they were really funny because they were actually really true about the church and church people in a lot of ways. But uh, one of her famous sayings was this. Could it be Satan... When we ask, how did God get such a bad rap? The answer is, could it be Satan? And the answer is yes. You see, Satan's goal from the beginning of time all the way back in Genesis three is to distort people's view of God. He wants to make God look bad every chance he gets. He wants to make God look like a cosmic killjoy. In fact, if you go another chapter over to Genesis three, the story of the fall, He says to Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, was that true? God didn't tell them they couldn't eat from any of the trees. But what Satan was implanting in Eve's mind was this. Hey, I've been around a long time, Eve. I know that God is stingy. I know that he's legalistic. I know that he's tough. But is he really so mean that he won't let you guys eat anything. See what he's doing to her? He's suggesting to Eve that God was depriving her and Adam of something that was going to be good for them. He was questioning both God's generosity and his goodness to them. And Eve's response shows us that she buys his lie. She believed him. How do we know that? Because here's her response. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And in fact, God said, we can't even touch the tree in the middle of the garden or we'll die. Now, God never said that they couldn't touch it, did he? He said, don't eat it. She added that part, why? Because it made God appear mean and legalistic. In other words, it gave her a rationalization to reach out and to grab that fruit and to eat it. See, my point is this. The serpent's negative portrayal of God, both in the Garden of Eden and now, was meant to convince humans that God's commands are not good for us, that he doesn't have our best interests in mind. Gang, if I don't believe that God is good, if I don't believe He has my best interests at heart, then I will do the very same thing that Eve does. I will begin to rationalize and I will begin to come to this conclusion. If God is not for me, then I've got to fend for myself to get mine, and I gotta do what I think is right. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. They 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 believed in their mind that God was withholding from them, so they said, Well, we're gonna get ours and they struck out on their own. And and that's the only choice you can come to in this world if you don't believe God is good. And so the lesson to be learned here is that we are led into sin when we erroneously believe that our God is mean and stingy and legalistic rather than good and generous and gracious. Because Adam and Eve believed the lie of the enemy, they disobeyed God and they ate the fruit. This is why having a proper understanding of why God has set certain guidelines and principles and laws and rules, if you want to call them that, in place is necessary. Because that's what keeps us strong in the face of temptation. That's what helps us to avoid making bad choices in life. To say, God, I'm keeping your guidelines. I'm staying inside the the guardrails because I believe that you want what's best for me. But if I don't believe that, I'm going to step outside the guardrails. I'm going to go exploring over here like Adam and Eve did, and I'm going to get myself into a world of trouble, and I'm going to end up in a ditch, right? Now, what's really amazing in this story, if you want to understand the character of God, is that even after they've disobeyed God, even after they have sinned, instead of killing them, because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death, right? So they deserve death. He said, if you, if you eat that, you're going to die. What God does is he's gracious to them. And when he finds them in the garden, they're naked and they're embarrassed. And what does God do? He clothes them. What an act of kindness. Why would God do that? Because God is generous. Because God is good, even when we mess up. So let me talk now about what's up with all the rules. Why does God give us guidelines? Why does he give us these boundaries? People often wonder that. Why are there so many laws or rules or whatever in the Bible? And some of them seem harsh and restrictive, and I don't like them. Don't don't you meet people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, that say, well, you know, I don't want to serve God. There are just too many restrictive laws. He doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to do that, right? We've all had that conversation with people. But why are those laws there? How many of you are glad that in America... Before you can get your driver's license, you have to read through and you have to know and be tested on that little book called The Rules of the Road. Are you glad for that? Aren't you glad that people have to learn the rules of the road before they get their license? Because what would happen if there were no rules of the road? It would be chaos out there. It would be bedlam. People would be doing whatever they wanted to do. Man, they'd be blowing through red lights. They'd be driving 150 miles an hour. They'd be doing all kinds of stuff, right? In fact, how many of you have ever been to a third world country and have driven there? Few of you. It's a nightmare, people. It is crazy. Because they have no rules, many of those countries. And so people are going through intersections, willy-nilly, doing whatever they want. They're not stopping, they're not paying attention. They're driving on whatever side of the road they feel like driving on that day. It is the craziest thing. And it's chaotic. Because without rules, what do we have? Chaos. And as human beings, it's interesting. We don't want to be restricted by rules, but we're glad that everybody else has rules. Because everybody else needs rules, not me, but you all need rules, right? The bottom line is this. In our lives, in our world, everything revolves around rules. Because rules are a good thing. Guidelines are a good thing. They exist to what? Protect us. So think about this. Before the fall on Adam and Eve... We didn't need any rules. We didn't need any guidelines, right? They had one guideline, one rule. That was it. Don't eat that fruit. That was it. And they couldn't even keep that, right? But when sin entered the picture, and as sin began to turn our world into chaos, we needed some guidelines. And so the development of legal codes in our world was needed. Because remember, in the Old Testament, it's a barbaric society where everyone did whatever they felt like doing. It was craziness. So in ancient civilizations, there were some rules. And the problem was the only people that were making the rules were kings and were emperors. And the rules they made, they made for their own benefit. Why? So they could maintain their power and they could oppress the people. But the rules that were in existence in ancient civilizations did not benefit the common person. It only benefited those that were in power. Hmm. Kind of like things today in our world, isn't it? When we read about the Old Testament laws, it may seem like there are a lot of them, but in reality, they are very concise compared to today's laws. In fact, have you ever seen a lawyer's bookshelves? They are packed with encyclopedias, like this thick, each one of them, filled with law after law after law. You got zoning laws, you got tax code laws, you got this kind of law, you got that. Our world is full of laws. God's laws, in comparison, are a tiny portion of the Bible. They were created for two reasons. In the Old Testament, God designed these laws to help Israel transition from an enslaved people to a healthy, functioning nation. The other reason that God instituted laws in the Old Testament was to help a barbaric civilization become more civilized. So, according to historian Joshua Berman, he writes for the National Geographic. He's not a believer, but here's what he wrote I quote God's laws were revolutionary, they established a society where all people were considered equal and were given equal rights. These laws reduced violence, corruption, and even the spread of disease. Wow. Now, most of us understand what I've just talked about. We get the fact that laws were instituted to help maintain order. That laws are for our protection, for our well-being, to keep peace in a society. We get that. What we don't get is, many of us have read through our Bibles, especially the Old Testament, and we've come along, we've seen laws that when we come along uh, or, 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 or read them, they don't make sense at all, okay? For example, a law like Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 9 through 11, which says this, you shall not wear any clothes that are made of wool and linen that have been woven together. Now, We come across that and we go, what's up with that? Like, why did God care what the Israelites wore? Isn't that a little bit controlling? That now God's gonna tell me every morning what I can and cannot wear, right? That's a law that to us today doesn't make any sense. It seems bizarre. But here's the deal. When you're reading the Bible, when you come across something like that that you don't understand, that seems strange, then you need to ask the why question. And you need to start doing some digging. And usually, the digging that you need to do is cultural in nature. In other words, good Bible interpretation does this. It says, what does this verse mean, or what did it mean, to the people that it was written to in their day? And once you discover what it meant to them in their day, then you can make application forward to our day. So we would do that with this text. We would say, what's going on here? What specific cultural problem or issue is taking place here? And scholars have discovered this, that the wearing of wool and linen mixed clothing was something that prostitutes did. Oh, now you're getting it. So God says, don't wear clothing that is wool and linen mixed. Why is he saying that? Because he want, doesn't want his people to be associated with prostitutes because that's what they specifically wore. Now, that law for us today doesn't make any sense because that's not what prostitutes are wearing today, right? Doesn't make a lick of sense to us. We don't need to you know, follow that because it doesn't apply to us. But it's important for us to understand because it did have meaning in their day. Think about the advice we give each other today. I wonder if some of the things that we say to each other today, if they'll be understood 500 years from now. For example, if I were giving a friend that was coming into town instructions about where they might go and what they might see in Chicago, I might tell them to visit various places and say, this is a great restaurant. Oh, you got to eat there and you got to go and see this and you got to go and see that. But along with those positive things, I might say, you want to stay out of the red light district. And here's where the red light district is. And I would give them the boundaries. You might give them the streets, right? Would that be good information for them to know? Yeah, you don't want your friends inadvertently landing in the red light district. Now, all of us understand what that phrase means. But 500 years from now, when someone is seeing a text that we've written or something, and they're saying, red light district? What does that mean? Right? That makes no sense at all to tell people not go to, you know, you get the point. Because culture changes. Society changes. Verbiage changes. In the Old Testament, there are laws that seem very odd to us. They seem bizarre. They seem like they don't make sense. But realize, in that day, they were given for good reason. You just have to understand the culture to know the reason. Let me give you another example. Numbers chapter 15 verse 32 is a story about a man who is stoned to death simply for gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that story or not. So when you read that story, the first inclination is to go, what kind of God, all right, would have someone killed, stoned, for simply collecting firewood. This doesn't make sense. So if you start doing some digging, you have to understand why the Sabbath was originally instituted. So the Sabbath was designed to promote justice, to limit oppression. The Sabbath was designed so that people would not be forced to work 24/7, 365, and they would actually have a day off to rest and to be with their family and to recreate. Because back then in that civilization, there was no such thing as a weekend. There was no such thing as a day off. You would have been slaves. You would have worked 24/7, 365 until you died, right? There was no rest, there's no recreation. So when God steps into that civilization and he establishes the Sabbath, again, it's revolutionary. You say, okay, I understand why God establishes the Sabbath, but why does this guy have to die because he's carrying sticks? Well, first of all, this guy isn't as innocent as he appears to be in the story. The inference here is this is not his first offense, but that he is regularly working on the Sabbath. He's breaking the Sabbath. And so... He wasn't allowed to get away with it because think about this. God has instituted this wonderful thing called Sabbath. This guy is breaking it all the time. What if he incites a rebellion for other people to start working on the Sabbath? Now we're going backwards. See? Because all it have to do is you just get one. It's a slippery slope, right? And then all of a sudden the Sabbath gets eroded and we're back to work in seven days a week and people are under oppression again. Think about the problems that Americans are experiencing today physically and mentally. Why? Because we work all the time and we don't take a Sabbath. We are literally working ourselves to death. God doesn't want that. Why? Because he's good. Because he's gracious. He gives his laws for our benefit. God's goodness, God's generosity, God's love are the foundation for everything he does and every command that he gives to us. So when you read the Old Testament, God commands us to do this, have sex, eat, and rest. You can't beat that, right? But what you need to know is, the ancient gods that people worshiped of that day didn't give a lick about human beings. In fact, in the Babylonian creation story called the Enuma Elish, we are told that their supreme god, Marduk, created human beings for this reason. Solely for the purpose of making human beings slaves to the gods because the gods were tired and they needed a rest. Babylonian creation account. Why were human beings created? Because the gods were tired. They needed a rest. So they created this race called human beings and they became their slaves. That's messed up, right? Do you see how different our God is? Our God says this, I'm going to create man. I'm going to bless man. I'm going to give man rest because he cares about us. I'm going to take care of mankind. So God gives us boundaries for what reason? To keep us from messing up our lives. Because he wants you to have a great life. He wants your life to be free of unnecessary pain and suffering. So our world looks at the Bible And in various places in the Bible, it says to abstain from sex outside of marriage, right? It's to to live a pure and a holy life. Sex is for inside the boundaries of marriage. And our world looks like that and says, that's so prudish. That's so yesterday. I should be able to have sex with whoever I want. I should be able to do whatever I want, right? God is such a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want me to have any fun at all. Uh Uh-uh. God gives us those guidelines because he realizes how powerful sexual relationship is. Inside the boundaries of marriage, it's wonderful. Outside the boundaries of marriage, it can destroy people's lives, amen? It destroys marriages, it destroys individuals, it hurts people. And God doesn't want people to be hurt, so he says, I've got this wonderful thing for you. But here are the guardrails. Lo- guard here are the boundaries. If you step outside of these boundaries, people are going to get hurt. You're going to hu- get hurt. You're going to hurt other people, and I don't want that. Now, is that a God that's a cosmic killjoy, or is that a God who is loving and wants the best for us? You see, he wants me to get the most out of my life without hurting myself or other people. So in Psalm 119 the psalmist says something that's very interesting. He says these words, I delight in God's laws. How many of you woke up this morning and the first thing in your head was this? God, I delight in your laws. I love the boundaries that you've given me. Probably none of you. Because as human beings, we don't tend to think that way. That causes me to ask a question. Why would the psalmist say that? I believe it's for this reason, because he had a revelation. He began to understand that God wasn't giving him boundaries to place a burden on him, but God wanted his life to be more enjoyable. And when the psalmist recognized that, it became easy to follow God's guidelines. And he says, God, I delight in your laws because they bring me blessing." Because they cause my life to go well. I understand that you've given me those laws because you're for me, not against me. You want to protect me. You want to bless me. They're born out of your heart of love and grace. It's not because you're mean. It's not because you don't want to have fun and you don't want me to have fun. It's because you don't want me to get hurt. You want my life to go well. Now, isn't that awesome today to understand that? God, I delight in your law. Finally, How do you avoid legalism? Here's the problem. We've already established that God is not a legalist. He is not a cosmic killjoy. But the problem is, many of God's children are cosmic killjoys. They're legalists. And many denominations are legalists. So what happens is, when people look at those Christians and those denominations, what do they assume about God? that God is the same way. Let me give you an example. In the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and by the way, it's still happening today, there was this big thing going around the church in the holiness movement. How many women here are wearing makeup today? Go ahead, ladies, raise your hand. Some of you have that natural beauty, but it looks like almost every hand is raised, right? Take that makeup off right now because you're going to hell for wearing makeup. That's one of the things that was taught in the church. It's still taught in denominations today. You wear makeup, you're going to hell. Now what is that? That's legalism, right? Does it say that anywhere in here? No, the problem with the church is we start making up our own rules, right? And so we give God a black eye. I love what C.M. Ward, the famous preacher from the Revival Time radio program, said. He was up there in age, and uh, all of this swirl was going on. And even in the assemblies of God, there were some that saying, yeah, I don't think, you know, women, maybe they shouldn't wear makeup and all this. And it was a big theological thing. And so he's on a radio show one day. And uh, you have to understand, see, um, he has this deep voice, and great radio voice. And, and, and at that point, he was of the age where he could pretty much say anything he wanted, uh, right? And no filters. And so they were interviewing him. And they said, well, we have a theological question for you, Dr. Ward. What do you think about women wearing makeup? And his response was a classic. Here's what he said across the airwaves of America. Hmm. Bless God. Here's my thoughts. If the barn needs painting, then paint it. (laughs) Shout out through the United States of America. C.M. Ward's Theology on Women Wearing Makeup and it's wonderful, right? My point is this. Legalism in the church has led people in the world to think God is legalistic. So there are three forms of legalism you need to avoid very quickly. First, it's legalism when we view God's laws as a way to appease God and earn salvation. In other words, some people believe that in order to get to heaven, you have to keep the rules, right? But Genesis 15, 6 and Galatians 3, 6 state that you can keep the rules all you want. Strict obedience to the law cannot and will never make us what? Righteous before God. Because only faith in Christ can make you righteous in the eyes of God. Keep all the rules you want. It's not going to get you to heaven. Religion, however, is always trying to appease God. Religion is wants to earn salvation. The scripture says we can't earn salvation. Right? We don't need to appease Jesus today. Why? Because Jesus did the work on the cross for us. He earned salvation for us. He did all the work and he offers salvation as a free gift to us, pure and simple. So if you really want to do something for God today, here's what you can do for God. Say thank you. Because of all the work that Jesus did. Second, It's legalism when we view God's laws as a way to earn God's favor and blessing. So some people inadvertently believe this, that if I'm a good little boy or girl, God will give me more things. He will bless me more. I will have a greater measure of his favor if I keep the rules. True or false? That's false. Look at you already have God's favor. You already have his blessing. And what happens when you have that mentality that if I'm a good little boy or girl, you make God a great big candy machine. You're using God. The only reason in that mentality that you're obeying God is because you want to get stuff from him. How many of you would like to have your children use you that way? The only time they obey your commands is when they want something. And so they come to you and they say, well, I did this and this and this and this and I obeyed all this. Now can I have a 50 spot? And they keep doing that, and eventually you catch on, and it's like, hey, it's the only reason you're obeying is because you want me to give you money. And if they were to tell you the truth and say, well, of course, you'd be deeply hurt, wouldn't you? You don't want your kids obeying you because they want to get stuff from you. Well, it's the same way with God. The other thing that happens when we use that mentality is all of a sudden we start saying to people, Look at me. Look at the stuff I have. It's because I'm so good. It's because I'm a rule keeper. And we get this proud attitude. Third, legalism is when we view God's laws as a duty or an obligation. That's what the Pharisees did. They view God's laws as an obligation. In fact, when people would see the Pharisees, the Pharisees always made sure they made a big deal of things. Whether they were giving offerings or whether they were trying to be holy, it's like, Oh, so hard, so hard to live for God. But bless God, we're doing it, right? God's laws are weighty, but we're going to make it. And when I see Christians like that, that'll make me want to serve God, right? God's laws are not an obligation or a duty to me. It's not that I must obey God. It's I want to obey God. Why? Because of all the wonderful things he's done for me. And if I have an attitude of obligation, it promotes to the world this idea that Christianity is a no-fun, joyless religion, just like the Pharisees had. And nobody wanted to follow those guys, right? The bottom line is this for us. God is good. He's generous. He's gracious. His commands to us are not meant to kill our fun, not meant to kill our joy. They are designed to help us to experience life to the fullest. What did Jesus say? I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And yet isn't it funny? When it comes to rules, nobody seems to like rules. And as human beings, we often resist God's rules. God was so gracious and kind to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And he gave them all these boundaries for their protection and so that it would go well with them. And what did they do? Time after time after time again, they broke the rules. And every time they broke the rules, where did they end up? In the ditch. They messed things up. But God was so kind and gracious. He comes. He gets them out of the ditch. He gets them back on the right path again. Only to see them do it again. Because there are four responses that you and I have this morning to God's guidelines. Knowing the rules of God, as we read the word, we can indulge ourselves anyway. Say, God, I I know what the book says, but... I think I know better, so I'm I'm doing my own thing on this one. We have a whole world that does that. They hear what God says and they say thanks, but no thanks. A second thing that we can do is we can get mad at the rules.
1: God, I don't like these rules. I don't like
0: this. Because we don't understand they're for our benefit, right? And so we become crabby Christians like the Pharisees. Third thing that we can do response is we can look at God's word and, and we can rationalize our actions. We can say, God... I love you, I really do, but I'm gonna bend this one a little bit, okay? Because it's not that bad. You know, there, there's a lot worse things that I don't do. I'm pretty good on, on most things, but I'm gonna bend this one, okay? Or we can just simply, fourth response, say, God, I'm gonna obey the rules because I understand that they're for my benefit. And the question today is, which path are you going to choose? Which way are you going to go? We know the way that a lot of people in our world go because they don't understand the nature of our God. They don't understand that God is fun. That's why one of our core values here at Life Church is let's have fun in church today. We got to have fun when we come together. God's not stiff. God's got a sense of humor. Read the Bible. All kinds of funny stuff in there. So we can either believe that God is a cosmic killjoy or that he wants to give us the best life possible. By the way, one closing thought. When you go to work tomorrow or this afternoon when you gather for dinner with your family who doesn't know God or you're in your neighborhood and they ask you, so what did you learn in church this weekend? I want you to tell them this. I learned that God commands us to have sex. Eat and rest. And you know what? Maybe they'll want to come to church with you next Sunday. (laughs) They'll be asking for the address. Let's pray. So Lord, it's so good to just laugh. It's good to know that you're not a cosmic killjoy. It's good to know that you're always looking out for our best interests. That you love us so much. You're gracious. That Lord, even when we break your laws... And we even do it knowingly sometimes, like the Israelites. And we mess things up and we get in a ditch, that you're right there to lift us out of the ditch and put our feet back on a solid path. Because you care about us. Because you want us to succeed. You wanted Adam and Eve to succeed. That's why you didn't destroy them in the garden. Instead, you clothed them. And you helped them. Lord, that's what you want to do for every one of us today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to just think about this. Ask yourself, is there any place in my life where legalism has crept in? Do I have a prideful attitude because I keep the rules? Is there any place where you've been trying to earn God's favor or his blessing? You think that by keeping the rules, he'll love you more. Beloved, he'll never more love you any more or any less, no matter what you do. Let me ask you this. What is your life telling other people about God? That he's a cosmic killjoy or or that he's amazing? Have you bought the lie that God is withholding from you somehow? Put all those things to the side. Say, God, I delight in your law. God, I don't want there to be any legalism or religion in me. God, help me to portray who you really are to people. That you're a God of grace and mercy and love and generosity and fun that wants the best for people. And then you may be here this morning and you have always thought, you know, the way to get to heaven is by keeping the rules by being a good person, by being a good moral person, doing good things, friend, that's not it. It's by recognizing that you're incapable of keeping the rules. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross and pay the price for our sin because we couldn't pay it. And having done that, he offers that free gift of forgiveness to each of us today that makes heaven possible. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I've gone off the tracks and I've gone into the ditch too many times. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. You don't know what my life has been like. The Bible says, whosoever come, that God will forgive you of anything. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone in the ditch. He's here for you today with his love and forgiveness because he cares about you. And so if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you've never asked him into your heart, you've never said, Jesus, I recognize that I can't do this, I can't earn my salvation, that you died to purchase forgiveness, to pay the price for me. You've never done that before in your life. But you'd like to do that today. You'd like to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to get out of the ditch. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you are today? we'll all pray together but I just want to give you that opportunity in case you're here and you haven't done that if you're watching online do that the most important decision you'll ever ever make could we all stand this morning if our ministry teams will come forward if you're here and you need prayer for anything at all this morning people from our ministry team are going to be here they're going to be up front to pray for you so take advantage of that right